This uh, is part two of a series that I've called Pick a Fight. Pick a Fight. Turn the person next to it's time to pick a fight. I will unpack that in a moment. Don't worry, we're not going to get up and have a boxing match. But, <laughs> but you will see what I mean and how important it is that we need to pick a fight. And um, we're going through the story of Elijah, Elijah's life story through the lens of picking a fight. Just as a quick recap, last time out, we looked at his journey where he is in a time where the king is Ahab and the queen is Jezebel. Jezebel and Ahab aren't cool. They are turning God's people away from God. It's not okay. And so God inspires Elijah to go and pick a fight with Ahab and Jezebel. And the reason he had to pick a fight was because God wanted to turn the hearts of the people back to himself. It was worth fighting for. The next thing that happens is that Elijah is able to go on and and release the next generation, being Elisha. And we'll talk about that next week. So if you're a young person here today, you need to be here next week because we're going to be releasing some people. It's going to be powerful time. So he's living in this time where Ahab and Jezebel are king and queen. And he goes to them and says this. He says, there's not going to be any rain in the land until I say so. Now that would be economic ruin. That's a big deal. They did not want to hear this stuff. And having declared war and picked a fight with the king and the queen, who were scary people, by the way, God takes Elijah on a journey. And he first takes him to Kerith, and Kerith means separation. It's a place where he was on his own, learning to do life and develop his faith between him and God, just him and God. God fed him by the ravens. How cool. How strong is your faith going to get when you're all on your own in the desert and the ravens keep bringing you food? That's pretty cool. I don't know about you, but I'll be like, God actually proper loves me. This is really amazing. Then he, he says, it's time to go now. It's time to move on. And he takes him to Zarephath which means smelting pot. Turn to the person next to you and say, smelting pot. You know you just spat in their face, don't you? And, and, and what God was doing with him there was helping him to learn to live with a family. Who knows, sometimes family is the smelting pot of life. Families aren't always easy, but God needed Elijah to nail that moment. And we talked about it last week. Having nailed being on his own, having nailed being in a family, God takes him to Carmel where he has a public ministry. He calls fire down from heaven. You know, he, has, he challenges the prophets of Baal and Asherah and he says, come on, if you're God's God, then call fire down from heaven. And of course they couldn't do it. And he starts taking the mickey out of him and then it's his turn. And he says, God, make yourself famous right now. And the fire comes down down from heaven everyone goes whoa this is the Elijah I'm talking about and in that moment he asked the big question to the people why do you waver between two opinions either Baal is God or my God is God make a choice and so the reason he had to pick a fight was for that very reason so we're going to pick up the story at that point where he's picked a fight, he's gone on a journey, and he's had this miraculous encounter. As fire comes down, he says to the people who obviously at that point turned back to God, he says, we've got to destroy all this Baal worship, and they slaughter all the prophets of Baal. How do you think Jezebel's feeling about this? Let's join the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. It says this, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I love the way that God's really kind and gentle with people who just want to give up. Get up and eat. You idiot. But here's where I want to start. Elijah has just called fire down from heaven. That's pretty epic. Before that, he raised the widow's daughter from the dead. That's pretty epic. How's your faith doing when that's going on in your world? Before that, he has been fed by the ravens. I mean, on that journey, if if you're not thinking God's got this, what are you thinking? After all of that... Elijah receives a letter from Jezebel that is rooted in fear. I'm going to kill you. And on that letter, he doesn't respond as if it's Jezebel. He responds as if it's God. Despite all of his history, he runs away and says, I'm no better than anyone else. I just want to die. Just let me go. I've had enough. Fear is big. Fear can affect anyone. And the point of fear is to steal your life. Fear is always rooted in death. When you fear something, what you're really fearing is, I'm going to die or I'm going to lose the life I'm used to. It's always rooted in death. And here is this woman, Jezebel. Jezebel, biblically speaking, is witchcraft personified. And when I say witchcraft, I don't mean, you know, hubble, bubble, toil and trouble, leg of newt. You know, not that kind of witch. I mean, it's a spirit that was resting on this woman that was powerful. So powerful that Elijah freaked out. And what witchcraft does, it works like this. It works through domination, manipulation and control. If you've ever been in a room or a situation around a person where you feel like you can't just be you, you feel like you're manipulated, you feel like I can't, re- I can't express myself here, I feel like I'm being controlled, there is a probability that you're in an environment where witchcraft is active. Here's the great thing. Holy Spirit trumps every other spirit. So we win every time. But if Elijah wrestled with it, we may wrestle with it. But that's why we get together and talk about this stuff, because we need to equip each other to win. You may well have heard the word or the name Jezebel. And I've been talking to some people about it and saying, you know, are you familiar? And most people today would understand Jezebel probably through song lyrics. She was a Jezebel. Anyone heard that kind of lyric? And what does that even mean? Well, this is what that means. It's when women in particular, but, but spirits aren't male or female, by the way. A, a, a male can have a spirit of Jezebel. So it's not, this isn't aimed at women, but it's predominantly women, and you'll see why. It's where women use their sexuality to control a man. Do you see? You see, we know. Can we talk real in church today? Yeah. Men don't always think with their minds. <laughs> so when a woman struts in going, hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
You've seen it. That is manipulating a man through sexuality. Men in the room, come on. Think. What's going on here? Where is this leading to? Is this a God thing or is it not a God thing? If it's not a God thing, don't get involved. Men, you can do that too. We've seen all the men down there now ripped up and like, right, ladies. (laughs) You're trying to get women to do what they don't want to do. It's witchcraft. There's no God in it. Can we stop that, church? Can we not partake in that kind of stuff because it's dominating, manipulating and controlling people into what they don't want to do? It's witchcraft. Let's call it what it is. So imagine Elijah here. He's received this letter rooted in witchcraft and fear and he can't, he can't handle it. You see, he gives up and runs away. Why? Because he's controlled. That's not who Elijah is. We've seen his story. It's unbelievably good. And yet he reacts in this horrible way. Piff, paff, poof. <laughs> if you can just grab that and pull it down. <laughs> I've experienced something. I like to share some of my own stories. I've experienced that. Some years ago, the church used to send me on a retreat once a year for a few days. If only you had stilts, Ellie. <laughs> um, for those listening on podcast, one of our blinds just shot up in the air and it became very light. Just so you know what the pause is. We're sorting it out. Round of applause for Ellie. Some years ago, the church used to send me on these retreats and the purpose of the retreats was to go away for three days, away from the TV, the iPads, Facebook, um, just life in general, the business of home, and just to spend three days on my knees before God and say, Lord, give me guidance. It was a good thing, and it's still a good thing, and I have, you know, do other things now, but I was doing that then. And, and um, you sent me to this um, lovely place um, at Stoke-by-Nailing, Stoke-by-Nailing Golf Course. Anyone familiar with Stoke-by-Nailing? It's, it's on the PGA Tour. It's a phenomenal golf course. It's really posh. And they just built these lodges. And these lodges are in the middle of the golf course. Uh, I think we've got a couple of pictures. They look like this. They're, they're absolutely phenomenal. Look, there's one. They're, they're amazing. And, but they're in the, and there's another picture. Is there? Yeah, look, it, it, this, you sent me there. Thank you, church. And I think there's another one. Look, look, look. They're in the middle of the golf course, in the middle of nowhere. There's eight of them. And they're super expensive. But it was the first week they'd opened. And it coincided with the week I was going. They basically gave it to us for, for about 50 quid or something. It was cheap as chips. They just wanted feedback. So I was all excited. I'm going to go on my retreat. I'm going to this posh lodge. I'd seen the pictures like that on the internet. I was like, this is going to be awesome. I get there in the middle of the golf course, 18-hole course, massive. And I look around, eight lodges. I'm the only one there. Not another soul. And you had to park your car in the car park. And then they had a concierge man who drove you to the hotel. And so there I am, and it was really great until it got dark. Do you know what? You know where I'm going, don't you? And I'm not talking dark like there's a few lights. It was pitch. You're in the middle of a golf course. It is, there is not a light on. Eight lodges, a bit windy, a few tweety birds, and me. And I'm thinking, Whoop. and uh, it was about two o'clock in the morning. I don't think I slept a wink yet. I'll tell you what I was shabba-dabba doing like another. Shabba-dabba. <laughs> I, was, I was giving it some. I was really close to God in that moment. And then the concierge drove past in his car. I'm thinking he's a mad axeman. <laughs> Where does your mind go? 
I'm like, it's just... And he, what he was actually doing is he has to do a, a midnight, like a two o'clock in the morning checkup, make sure everything's all right. But I'm the only one there. Surely you knew I... He had an axe. I'm telling you, he had an axe. <laughs> At the end of my bed was this massive ottoman. I've pulled that out. It was proper heavy. Got it up against the door. He was not getting in. I'm telling you, he was not getting in. I went in the kitchen. I had a big old kitchen knife and I was laying there. Still shabba-dabba-doing. But you behave proper weird when fear's involved. Because that's not who I am. You can see that. That's not my character. But when fear got me, and I was, you know, your mind just goes all over the place. Fear controls you. It actually steals your identity. It stops functioning you functioning as you. The question we need to ask ourselves is, is it rational or irrational? Because sometimes it's okay to be a bit scared of stuff. You know, years ago, I used to be a window cleaner. And we got this contract out in South End to clean these, these old people's retirement homes. It was a nine-story building. We were thinking, happy days, nine stories, hundreds of windows. It was an urno. We were like, yeah, happy days. What we didn't quite factor in is that we were going to be on scaffold. I don't know if you've been nine stories up on scaffold that someone else put together. <laughs> you get up there, and you're on three planks of wood. What's that, that wide? You're on three planks of wood, some scaffold. And first floor, we're like, yeah, it's fine. Second floor, we're not too bad. Third floor, we get a little bit like this. By the time we got on the fifth floor, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was horrible. You start looking over the edge. All that's stopping you falling off is a pole. And was that pole put on correctly? Your mind goes all like, what, if they didn't tighten it up, probably. What, if this is about to fall off? By the time I got to the eighth floor, I was doing the slug. I don't know why, but nine floors up in the air, it feels safer if you're laying down. Because, <laughs> of course, then you wouldn't die if it collapsed. <laughs> but I think that's probably a rational fear. You know, you could actually fall off. That's normal. So I'm not saying all fear is just ridiculous. There, there is rational fear, but there are irrational fears, and they are life-debilitating. Some of the things that we've come across in church life, and I believe they're so powerful and real today, is the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, and the fear of lack. And these things are controlling people today. And I say it's time to pick a fight. Yeah. I say enough already. I say Jesus went to the cross for me not to experience this or be influenced by this or controlled by this. Witchcraft doesn't have a place in my life or yours. And I'm hoping today that if you relate to any of this stuff, we're going to get you some freedom. And if one day it comes your way, that you'll have some tools to overcome it. Fear of failure ultimately keeps people holding on to what is an okay life, an average life, and it prevents them to, from trying something new in case they fail. And because they won't try something new, they are held in their average life. Whereas if they actually tried something new, they may fail. It may not work. Do you know what? So what? But because we fear failure, we don't try at all. We can't rationally think... Even if I stuff this up, does it really matter? Nothing gained, nothing lost. It stays the same. Big deal. But people refuse to try something new because they're scared or fearful that they might fail. Never once thinking they might win, they might succeed. Their mind is controlled by this fear factor. You see, if you actually tried something and it succeeded, if you went for a new job, you tried a new relationship, you pushed into a new friendship group, you tried a new church, you moved to a new city. If you tried something new, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, a whole new arena might open up in your world. 
And I serve the God who says, I came to give you life and life in its fullness. He didn't come to hold you still fearful that something might go right in your world. Have a go. But I know people can relate to this kind of stuff. And fear of failure is controlling people and holding people's lives back. And you just become average and you were never called to be average. No one in this room is average. The fear of rejection, I think, is probably the biggest area of ministry I've encountered in church life. I've been doing this for 15 years and I think it's the biggest area. And it works like this. People won't step into a new friendship group in case they are rejected. People won't ask new questions in case they are rejected. And so they don't even get to the point of yes or no. They don't even ask the question. It's this fear of rejection. Do you see what I mean? And it's controlling people. And it's not okay. Their lives are being stolen from them before they've even begun. Because they won't even push a door. Do you hear what I'm saying? Guys, if the days are coming when you're going to apply for a job, apply for the job. Don't be fearful of rejection. Don't be fearful of failure. Push. What's the worst going to happen? It's a no. So what? Try another one. Rather than, what if I don't get it? Come on. You're a child of God. He wants the best for you. We're allowed to agree. And you see what I mean? It's time to pick a fight. See, we don't fight people ever. We love people. Whatever their background, persuasion, colour, ethnicity, history, we love people. But we don't like these spiritual dynamics that are controlling people and withholding the fullness that God always wanted them. Is there some agreement? In Scripture, you will find um, do not fear more than 300 times. I don't know about you, but I'm reverent over the Scripture. If something's in there once, it's worth listening to. It's worth considering. If it's in there 300 times, God wants us to get it. Do not fear is in Scripture more than 300 times. The word of the Lord is found in Scripture over 100 times. And these two actually work hand in hand. You'll find their primary root working together here in Genesis 15 and verse 1. It says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Can you see how the word of the Lord and don't be afraid go hand in hand? You see, when you apply truth to fear... The truth always wins every single time. The theme here is God's word equals no fear. Do you get it? The antidote to fear is the truth of God's word. And so we have to starve our fears by feeding our faith. And faith comes by hearing the word of God. Do you see? So if we're going to be people who are going to starve these horrible fears that are life debilitating out of word, we need to get in our word. We need to get it in here, we need to get it in here, and we need to get it here. We need to be walking out the truths of God's word, because then fear can have no place over your life. I like the idea of, if I'm uh, worried, anxious, fearful of something, I like to think there's a verse in God's word that's appropriate here. And I like to bring that verse up and say, have some of that. God's word is fighting on my behalf, because he loves me. Let me show you a few things. Fear of lack... Never having enough or losing what you have. Philippians 4 verse 19 says this. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You see, your lack's got nothing to do with you. God's got enough. 
Give me a wave if you think God's got enough for you. You know, God's got enough. But what happens is we allow this fear of lack to get into our heads. And all we can look at is what we haven't got instead of approaching what we could have. Can you see the word of God becomes this lens? Fear of rejection. What if I don't fit in? What if no one likes me? What if they push me away? Well, Deuteronomy 31, 6 says this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are never on your own. Ever. So it doesn't matter if people push you away. It's okay because you've got the one that matters. And he will always position you in friendship groups on churches that will help you. That's why church is so important. Don't forsake the gathering like some do, but gather together to encourage each other and pull the goodness out of each other. We are called together. Why? Because we don't reject each other. It's pushing against this awful fear which is destroying people's lives. Fear of being hurt. Psalm 46 verse 1 says this. God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. If you're up against it, if you can get wounded, you know what? Apply the verse. Put that fear into the verse and say, have some of that. I'm all right because God's got me. Can you see what's happening here? Fear should have no place in your life. Probably your reality is it does. But come on, can we shift something this morning? God's word trumps it every single time. Fear of man. Some people are fearful of what everyone else thinks all the time. Can you relate to that kind of stuff? Well, let's apply some words. Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7 says this. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Man can't do stuff to you because the Lord is with you. You know, it just applies the same thing. Fear of death. That's the ultimate, isn't it? We've got some funny stories. Um, Sarah's mum is petrified of flying. And uh, when we ever been on holiday with her, she'll have about 16 glasses of wine, a um, couple of Valiums, and uh, just, just in her order to get on the plane. But what's she really scared of? She's scared she's going to die. That's what she's scared of. Who knows that flying in a plane is the safest way to travel on the planet? You know, but we'll all get in a car, probably to go home. But she's bricking it about getting on this plane. And anyway, she has all this wine, all this Valium. And I was sat next to her on the way to one holiday, and she's so out of it, she's dribbling on my shoulder. And I was like, yeah. But she was actually fearful of death. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What are we scared of, people? You know, if I go down and if the plane goes down, do you know what's not going to happen? I'm going to be all right. Because I've got a call on my life that I haven't yet fulfilled. So stuff's got to happen around me. So if you're going on holiday, take me with you. You'll be fine. (laughs) Can you hear me, church? Get it in you. Fear is trying to rob good people of awesome lives, and it's not okay. Let's pick a fight. And we fight with spiritual tools. We fight with the word of God. Let's go back to Elijah. So here he is. He's run away. He's got scared. He wants to die. And angels turned up. Do you know what? They don't once address his fear. He just says, get up and eat. Do you know? I think sometimes us Christians are proper mamby-pambies, aren't we? Oh, dear, dear. Oh, shut up. Get up. Come on. Grow a set. Oh, you're allowed to say that in church. But come on, it's real, isn't it? Come on, we need men and women and children of strength who stand on their word in all situations and stop falling over the slightest little thing. Come on, we need the church to be strong. So he says, come on, get up. 
And so he gets up and he goes on a journey and he takes some refuge in a cave. And this is where we pick the story up in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 through 18. It says this, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. So he's in a cave. He's asked him to come out. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Now we read that and go, oh, yeah, great. But it tore the rocks apart. Proper wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an, earth, an earthquake. Anyone been in an earthquake? Probably some of you might have. I've never actually. I was in an earthquake when I was in New Zealand. But it was just like, that was it, done. So I can't have survived it though, guys. But this is an earthquake. There was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Stuff's going off here, people. And after that fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Good old compassionate father again. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalala, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any of those who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Here's what God says. Well, let's picture the scene first. There's all these earthquakes, there's this fire, there's this wind, there's stuff crashing around. And it doesn't move Elijah. Why? I'll tell you why. Because if you remember, he got taken to Kerith. And when he was in Kerith, he learned to how to handle God one-on-one. -on -one. He learned how to hear his voice. He learned how to commune with him. He was never sidetracked. So in the midst of all the racket of life, all that was going on around him, Elijah knew when it was the Lord. You see, some people say to me, oh, how, how do you know it's God? Well, you start knowing it's God when you spend some time with him. You need to spend some time with the Lord. You, know, you need to create those moments and be intentional about it. So in the busyness of life, and we're all busy people, there is all kinds of noises around you, all kinds of pulls on your time. But what's God saying? So here in the midst of this noise, Elijah knew it was God. And again, Elijah says, well, I've been so zealous, everyone's getting killed. God doesn't address it. He just says, this is what I want you to do. See, God's not messing about. The word of the Lord always trumps fear. He's not even going to speak about the fear because he's speaking and it always wins. So he doesn't address that. He actually says, go and anoint the next generation. We're going to talk about that next week. And that is that generation that kills Jezebel. Elijah doesn't kill Jezebel. He has to empower someone else with a double portion to go on before him. And we'll talk about that next week. But this is what God's doing right now. He's saying, I've got a plan for you. Forget the fear. I'm not even going to address it. Get up and do what I've said because you're going to win. Are you hearing me? The word of the Lord trumps fear every single time. 
And I love the fact that there's Elijah looking around saying, I'm the only one, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. Because he could only see it from his own perspective. But God had always reserved 7,000 others. And he didn't know. And how often do we feel like we're on our own in a situation? How often do we feel like no one else could understand what we're going through? But if we could get God's perspective, actually lots of people understand your situation. Lots of people are going through and have been through what you've been through. But we need to look around and find those people because God wants us together. And so God is speaking into Elijah's life right in this difficult, difficult moment. So when we look at what's been happening in this portion of Elijah's journey, we can see the debilitating effect of fear. Do you relate to some of this stuff? I think everyone in this room will either be going through some of those things now or will have gone through some of those things in the past. You'll be able to understand exactly what I'm talking about in your circumstance. But what we need to do is learn the lessons so that we're equipped going forward. Because fear is going to challenge you again. It will. But you never need to buckle. You never need to give in. You need to put it through the lens of the word and stand strong. Because those who resist the devil, the devil must flee. You win every single time. Come on, am I spying someone? It's about time we pick fight with fear, isn't it? Come on, enough already. It's ruining lives and I don't want to see it anymore and we don't want it in this church. We are called to be a beacon of hope in this town. And so if we can overcome these things, people will look at us and go, wow, the lives those guys live, the faith in their hearts, the, the, the things they're doing and saying, the things they believe in, it just inspires me. We want people to see that as a beacon of hope. And to do that, we have to overcome our fears. What I love is that as you make a choice to pick a fight with fear, God makes a choice to fight with you. 1 John 4 verse 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's what I love. God is love. God's not good at love. God doesn't quite like love. He is love. And so it says there, perfect love drives out fear. So when you've got God in you, you can't, you can't co-reside with fear. It's either God or it's not. So the more of God we get in, the less of the fear that can ever be there because he drives it out. He's got a particular like for this kind of stuff, our Father. Do you know why? Because when he sent Jesus, it cost him everything. He sent his son, his only son, to come and demonstrate what heaven looks like on earth. To come and show how to relate to our Father. And to come and die on a cross for me and for you. So that when we stand before the Father, he's not going to judge our sin. He's going to see us next to his son and go, I love you. He's, got, he's invested in this journey with you. And so when fear starts to rob you of the full life that Jesus came for, fear is robbing you of the very thing he gave up. You know, I've sent my son so that you would have life and life in its fullness. And here's, Rob trying to ro- here's, here's fear trying to rob that fullness. Well, it's not okay. And God says, if you'll stand there, I'm going to stand with you. And perfect love drives out fear every time. So I don't know what you're fearing right now, but let's apply some perfect love to it. Because God will always win every single time. Come on, touch three people and say, God's going to win on your behalf. Final verse I want to throw out there. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
You see, the reality here is fear is going to be in and around our world we live in this earth. It's just going to be around. But when you apply the spirit, it gives you authority, power to overcome. Fear shouldn't be a voice you listen to. Because God says, I've put love in you and I've given you authority over it. Yes, there's rational and irrational. If this isn't a rational fear, he's given you a sound mind to work that out. So the spirit of God in you is enabling you and empowering you to win over fear. So this witchcraft stuff, this Jezebel stuff doesn't have a place in your world. But if you give it a place, it will always pull you backwards. It's not a question of salvation. For anyone who professes Jesus as Lord, that's a done deal. But it can ruin your life. It can hold you back. It can stop you. But I want to suggest this. If fear has pulled you back and held you back, then maybe today's the day we apply some love to that fear and it will have to let go. And as it lets go, it's going to propel you forward. And you will end up in the place God always intended you. Because the devil can't rob you. He can't have you. He can't have your dream. He can't have your future. He can't have your family. He can't have your health. He can't have your finances. He cannot have it because perfect love drives out fear. So I just wonder today if a meeting like this with all you amazing, amazing people couldn't collaborate our faith and say, come on, we're picking a fight with fear. It's not going to have my life. And you know what? The person next to me is not going to have their life. And you know what? My parents at home, it's not going to have their life. We need to pick a fight with fear because it's a fight we've already won. We just need to appropriate it. Are you with me, church? Have you got some fight in you? Have you got some faith in you? Have you got some prayer in you? Because we need to fight for some people right now. Would you stand your feet? Come on, let's going to pray.